Good morning. <clears throat> Do you ever just want to keep singing? <laughs> and there is, there is much to sing about. I, I am thankful for our, our worship team that that each week faithfully preaches the gospel to us. As we sing, as we sing songs that are, are filled with, with deep truths. And what a, what a joy it is to sing those to our God. To sing about the amazing grace that we have been showed in Christ. Uh, to sing about the fact that, that Christ is our cornerstone. And that without him all else falls apart, and then to know that, that, that we have hope in Christ, that, that Christ would be our all. That is my prayer for us here this morning, and, I, and I, I, am, I am very, very excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. It is a great privilege and it is a great promise that we are looking at this morning as as you as you probably know hopefully uh, if not through having been here before but uh, maybe by the bulletin in front of you we're continuing in a series that is called ecclesia which is the greek word uh, for church it refers to a group of called out ones and, and we've been looking at, at different statements that Jesus has made to the church that give us purpose and power. So this ecclesia, these called out ones, the promises we're looking at are the words that, that Jesus has given to us to accomplish his purpose. And we've looked at, at things... So far, such as, I will build my church. I will come to you. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you words and wisdom. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you rest. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I will love you and manifest myself to you. These are all promises that Jesus has given to us, his church. Promises that enable us to fulfill the purpose that he has called us to in this community. And so they all work together in this idea. as the power and purpose of the local church. And as we have looked at uh, these promises... We have seen that all of what we do as a church relies on the promises that Jesus has given to his church. And so this this may may be even difficult for us to understand because we hear a lot of things. We hear a lot of promises, a lot of offers, a lot of deals. And, and, And if we're honest, a lot of them seem too good to be true. Uh, surely I'm not the only one who has, who has ever fallen for something that is too good to be true. D.L. Moody once said, God never makes a promise that is too good to be true. 
And the promises that we are looking at in this series, and and especially today, are promises that we, as the church, can rest on. And and so the promise this morning, I pray, uh, will be particularly encouraging for you. The promise this morning from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30, is this. I give them eternal life. So let's go, let's turn to John chapter 10. We'll read verses 22 through 30, and then we will pray over our time. You can follow along either with me in your lap or on the screen. It will be there for your convenience. So starting in chapter 10, verse 22, we read this. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us here this morning. We thank you for your promise, even for the promises that we have looked at through this entire series. God, help us to know that we can trust you. So I just pray and ask God that this morning that you would use your word and the power of your spirit to encourage us, that you would draw us closer to yourself and that you would help us. God, to live in light of what you have promised. We just thank you and praise you, God, that we can gather here in this place, that we have your word available to us, that we can know you, God. So help us to know you better here this morning. Help us to love you more this morning. And God, help us also to love others more Be with us as we open your word. Give us understanding. Help us, God, to see who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. We love you, God. We praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is simply just walk through the text, the passage that we have read already, verses 22 through 30, uh, with a couple other verses mixed in between. Uh, But I just want us to understand 
a little bit about the setting, a little bit about what's going on, so that once we understand what's going on, we can understand how we are to live in light of that. So, so right off the bat, right away, in verse 22, Jesus is seen walking through the temple. Your Bible might say the Feast of Dedication. It might say the Feast of Lights. It might say the Feast of Booths. Whatever it might be, we know this today as Hanukkah. So, so we know that this is taking place sometime in the month of December, probably even around the 25th. And, and Jesus is walking along in the temple in winter when he is surrounded by the Jews. And, and, and so the text says that, that they gathered around him. And, and, and this wasn't some sort of nice gathering where they were looking for maybe you know, a group hug to come out of this. It's more of the gathering that, that comes about when you're trimming the bushes and you happen upon a bee's nest and they come out ready to sting, ready to, to hurt you in some way. And so the Jews gather around Jesus in this way so that he cannot escape. And, and they have one simple question for him. They ask, are you the Christ? And they require that he tell them plainly because they feel he has kept them in suspense about this matter. But, but Jesus responds to them, and, and, and his response is this. He says, I did tell you, and you did not believe. The way that Jesus has told them who he is is through his miracles. And, and, and we look at even some of the miracles that, that John mentions. Just a chapter before this, Jesus heals a blind man. And, and so when Jesus is answering their question, he, he uses what he has done to prove who he is. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. His testimony is his works. The blind see, the sick are healed, and the dead are raised. And yet, this group of people does not believe his testimony. They do not believe who he is, which surely is the Christ. But look at why they don't believe. Jesus tells them, you are not among my sheep. And, and this is pointing back earlier in, in the parable of, of the Good Shepherd, earlier in chapter 10, where Jesus makes a couple claims. And so I want to read verses 1 through 6 and also 11 through 15 of chapter 10, just to kind of frame out what's going on here in this passage. So starting in verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the, sheep, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, was brought, when he has brought all, out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
So, so I think it's safe to say that, that Jesus here is referring to the Pharisees as strangers. As those who do not know his voice and therefore do not follow him. And, and he continues in, in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So that helps us understand the parable a little bit. It helps us even see the, the, the twofold claim that Jesus is making. Firstly, he is claiming to be the I am. And this is a clear claim to deity. It points all the way back to the book of Exodus, where, where God is revealing himself to Moses, and, and Moses is asking, well, well, who shall I say is sending me? And God simply reveals himself as, I am that I am. He is the self-sustaining one. He does not rely on the existence of anything outside of himself to be. And so when Jesus uses this phrase, I am, it's the same claim that he is making. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is claiming here to be God. He is saying, I am the self-existent one. But, but not only that, he makes a claim about his sheep as well. He says, my sheep know my voice. Uh, that is to say that, that the sheep who, who hear Jesus speaking, they are, if they are in his flock, they will believe what he says and follow him. And so the Jews that he is talking to neither believe nor follow what he says. In fact, later in chapter 10, if you keep reading, they think it necessary to stone Jesus for this clear claim that he is making. And ironically, it's the exact claim that they are asking him to make. And so Jesus uses the picture of sheep in 1027, again, to further prove that, that the Jews do not accept who he is because they do not follow him. He says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus pictures his followers as sheep, and himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for them, so that they can experience what he promises in verse 28. And, and that promise in verse 28 is what we are looking at this morning where Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In one sentence, Jesus repeats his point three ways. And he is saying, those who believe and follow what he says have eternal life. And this eternal life is guaranteed to those who are Jesus' sheep. They never have to worry about losing it. 
Just as is pictured earlier in the chapter by the Good Shepherd, who guards against the attacks of wolves. Jesus protects his sheep. This is because not only do his sheep know Jesus, but Jesus knows them and is willing to lay down his life for them. The Father has given to the Son a flock that will never perish because there is no one greater than the Father. Jesus says, My Father is greater than all, and no one can take my sheep from his hand. But, but he goes even further than that, which, which is a clear enough claim of deity that the Jews want to stone him. He says, I and the Father are one. And there is, there is much mystery about the Trinity. I, I don't think that we'll be able to explain all of what the Trinity is, but I think it would be safe to say that, that Jesus is one with the Father, or he is in agreement with the Father. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are fully God and fully agree. And so Jesus' claim here is that he is one with the Father in such a way that he can say, I hold the sheep in my hand and the Father holds the sheep in his hand because they are one in both purpose and will. They're one in essence. They're one in nature. And so Jesus is saying that, that he is the one holding them in his hand. And it is also correct to say that his Father is holding them in his hand. So, so we would say from that, it is the desire of both the Father and the Son to protect the sheep. In other words, our triune God protects our salvation. And he does that because he knows his sheep. He knows them and, and he loves them. And so to be known by Jesus is to be held secure by the grip of God's grace. No one can snatch believers from Jesus' hand or from the Father's hand. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. They are both divine, acting with power and purpose that human forces cannot negate or overcome. The promise that Jesus gives is eternal life. And the guarantee that Jesus gives is the greatness of his Father and the equality they share. So, so here's what I think is the main point of this passage. The greatness of our eternal God guarantees our eternal life. The promise that Jesus gives to his church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is sure. It's sure because he himself guarantees it. So, so believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, hear this. Jesus guarantees your eternal life with him. If by grace through faith you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you can rest 
in the security of your eternal life. So that means that there is no situation on this earth that you can face that can take away the promise of Jesus. There is no power great enough in all creation to snatch you from the loving hands of Jesus. Because being known by Jesus is to be loved by Jesus in a special and distinct way. A way that he keeps you. And what a joy it is to be known by Jesus. To be loved in such a way that he protects and he guards the promise that he has made to us. And so I think, I think we could make this conclusion based on that, that the assurance of your salvation is not based on how you feel at any given moment. It is based on the greatness of the God who holds his sheep in his hand. Because he loves them deeply. He will not allow anything to take them from his hand. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who struggles to believe this. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who, who has doubts. But as we sang earlier, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Jesus is the one who holds us securely in his hands. And that means that, that none of his sheep will ever perish. None of his sheep will ever be taken from his hand. All that are in his flock will have eternal life. So I think that, that this also means that, that your eternity is not performance-driven. It's promise-driven. If, if you take hold of the promise of Jesus here by faith, Jesus promises your eternity is secure. And, and the promise of eternal life is not given because we earn it. It's not based on what we do. We do the right things. Or it's also not based on the fact that we don't do the wrong things. There is nothing we can do to earn the promise that Jesus is making here. It's a promise that Jesus secured with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we take hold of that promise by faith. And so we must, we must bank our eternity on the righteousness of Jesus alone. Only His righteousness can guarantee what He promises here. We simply come before Him confessing to be a sinner in need of a Savior and that His work alone is what saves us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Those whom Jesus saves 
he secures. This is the promise of eternal life. This is the promise that Jesus gives to his sheep, to those who believe who he is and follow what he says. And so we see also in the text, though, that that the Jews refused to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so we need to learn also from that, that apart from, from belief, apart from this faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, there is not eternal life. There is eternal death. And so for any here this morning who do not believe who Jesus is and what he has done, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who alone can save and grant eternal life, the joyous reality that Jesus is describing in this text does not await you. Outside of Christ we stand under the just wrath of God. But the hope here this morning is that this reality can await you. That, that Jesus died in the place of sinners and rose to life so that any who would place their faith in him would never taste death. If you want to know that you will be with Jesus for all eternity, do what he has said. Believe who he is and follow him. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And in so doing, you will be saved. That will require turning from your old ways and no longer worshiping the false gods in your life and turning to worship the one true God who alone offers eternal life. And and if you do that, then you can rest in the promise that Jesus gives here this morning. You can rest in the promise of eternal life. And so if you believe and follow Jesus here this morning, whether already or for the first time, this is what we learn from the passage. I have, I have six applications. Uh, three of them are not in your bulletin as if it's already not crowded enough with that outline. Maybe you can flip it over or whatever. Um, Three not in your bulletin, three that are in your bulletin, the three that aren't are first. So firstly, what we learn from the guarantee that Jesus gives, the guarantee of our eternity enables our confession. I think that we learn from from the fact that our eternity is guaranteed, that we don't need to hide our sin from God in fear that there is not grace left in him to forgive us. Surely, we must still battle sin. But we need not worry about the security of our eternity when confessing. We know that Jesus is faithful and true to forgive those who confess their sins. And so, the guarantee of our eternity enables our confession. Jesus paid it all, so we can confess it all. We have nothing to hide from God. Nothing can take away the promise that Jesus has given. 
Secondly, the guarantee of our eternity frees us to forgive. God has forgiven us our sin against him. Which, to be sure, is immeasurably more than than someone else's sin against us. So because of that, surely we can forgive. Thirdly, the guarantee of our eternity fuels our love for one another. We should learn to love, and we should live in love and unity with each other now, in preparation for the eternity that we will spend together worshiping Jesus. Now sure, we will have perfect love for one another then, but we should strive to love one another deeply now. This is just one of the ways, I think, that that the guarantee of our eternity can change how we live now. That we should learn to love one another. Fourthly, the guarantee of our eternity emboldens our witness. If the guarantee... That, that, that Jesus is making, if the promise that he is making to us is sure, you and I have nothing to fear. Paul said it this way, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, if Jesus is holding us in his hand, what, what do we have to fear in talking to our neighbor about Jesus. Nothing. Jesus holds us secure, and the only thing that that another person can do to us is kill the body. And yet, our souls are entrusted to Jesus. There's nothing that can snatch us out of his hand. So because of that, we should be bold in our witness. If Jesus' promise is secure... We can get out of our comfort zones to boldly live for him. And secondly, along with this, uh, that the guarantee of our eternity emboldens our witness. There are, there are many who need to hear. There are, there are people in this community who only know the name Jesus as a cuss word. The only time it is, it is uttered from their lips is in vain. They don't know the sweetness that is the name of Jesus. And, and, and we're here to tell them about the glorious promise that he offers. That his life, death, resurrection, and return meets the deepest need that we have. And that is being made right with a holy God outside of the finished work of Christ, we stand condemned. And there are many who do not believe. But the guarantee of our eternity should embolden our witness to them. That we go and we tell them of the promise that Jesus has made. And because Jesus has secured our eternity, we do this in the power that he provides. Fifthly, 
The guarantee of our eternity changes how you live now. You can live your life now in light of your eternity. The promise that Jesus is making in our passage this morning is, I give them eternal life. Not, I will give them eternal life. All of the statements that we have looked at thus far in the Ecclesia series have been I will statements. But this one is different because Jesus simply says, I give them eternal life. I think this speaks to the surety of this promise, but it also is saying that, that the promise that Jesus is giving them, which is eternal life, has, is, is a present reality with a future outcome that we can live in light of now. Jesus has given this promise. He has said, I will, he says, I give them eternal life. We will attain that. There will come a day that either Jesus returns or, or we cease to be. And we will attain our eternal life in full but until then, let's live for it now. And, and Jesus defines eternal life in the present, in John 17, 3, as knowing Jesus Christ and the Father who sent him. So if you want to prepare for your eternity now, get to know the God who guaranteed it for you. That we can have a deeper and deeper relationship with this God who has offered and guarantees eternal life. So we prepare for that eternity now by getting to know him more. Sixthly and finally, the guarantee of our eternity is secured by God himself. Think, think about that for a second. The promise that Jesus makes is eternal life. And he is the one who secures it. So, so again, if by faith you have accepted this promise, your eternal life is secured by God himself. Jesus accomplished everything necessary to save you. And he ensures your ability to persevere. Jesus, the good shepherd, will guard you. He will protect you. And he will keep you in his hand till the end. Much like a father holding the hand of their child near a busy street would not rely on the child's strength to hold on and stay out of traffic. Our Heavenly Father holds tightly onto us, ensuring that we will experience eternal life. This may seem too good to be true. There may be many situations in your life that would cause you to doubt 
what Jesus has promised. You may be facing difficulty. You may be facing sickness, hardship, pain. There could be many things that would cause you to doubt this promise. But but hear this and be reminded this morning that if you have trusted Jesus for your salvation, your eternity is secure. Your great God guarantees it. Jesus holds you in his hand and ensures that you will stay there because you are held in the secure grip of his grace. And so we can read the promise of John 10.28 this way. Jesus gives you eternal life. You will not perish. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. This is a promise we can be sure of. And this is a promise that we eagerly look forward to experiencing in its fullness. There's a song that I think summarizes all that we've said this morning, uh, that we sing here often. And, and I, I, I pray that the next time we sing it, you'll sing it in a new way. That you will never sing it the same way again, and, and it's this. So I, I close with the last verse of In Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. God, we thank you for the promise of your word to your church this morning. Help us to stand in the power of Christ. May we be encouraged. Would you draw us closer to yourself each and every day? Help us to live then in light of our eternity. We love you, God. We praise you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.